Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. I'm not afraid of anything in this world. There's nothing you can throw at me. That I haven't already heard I'm just trying to find A decent melody A song that I can sing In my own company You are such a fool To worry like you do I know it's tough And you can never get enough of what you don't really need now, my, oh, my. You've got to get yourself together. You got stuck in a moment, and now you can't get out of it. Don't say that later will be better. You got stuck in a moment, and now you can't get out of it. I was unconscious, half asleep The water is warm to you discover how deep And I wasn't jumping, for me it was a fall It's a long way down to nothing at all You've got to You've got to Get yourself together, you got stuck in a moment, and now you can't get out of it. Don't say that later will be better, you got stuck in a moment, and now you can't get out of it. And if the night runs over, and if Good morning. Thanks, guys, for that. I'm not sure if you can relate to that song. I, I, I think I can make a case that everyone in this room could at one level or another. But, but you know, this idea of being stuck in a moment. And I, I like the call in that song. You've got to get yourself together now. <laughs> You've gotten stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. Nobody likes to be stuck. Nobody likes to be stuck in their career, stuck relationally, stuck spiritually. Because when you're stuck, it really means you're between two things and you can't navigate around them. In fact, there's a distinct before and there's a distinct after, but you're right here, (laughs) stuck in the moment. You're not there and you're not there and it can be incredibly frustrating. Now, I know everyone here at least has or will experience this feeling biologically. Because I know there's this thing between childhood and adulthood called adolescence. And it's awkward. (laughs) It's tough because you're not sure who you are and others aren't sure who you are. You know you're not a child anymore. But you kind of know you're not an 
battle yet. You're right here. Uh, other people see you, and, and, and when you're in that awkward phase, have you ever noticed when you went through adolescence, some of you are having trouble remembering that, I know, it was a long time ago, but when you went through adolescence, sometimes when we're stuck in the moment, we're tempted when the responsibilities of being an adult are being put on us, we want to go back to being a kid again. And when we think of the rights and privileges, like driving and stuff, we want to fast forward to be an adult. What we know we don't want is to stay right here, right in this moment. Now, friends, when it comes to being stuck in that moment, maybe there's nothing more frustrating or discouraging than being there because we're trying to get out of it. In the Old Testament, there was the children of Israel. They were encaptured. They were enslaved in a nation called Egypt at the time, and there was cheap slave labor. And they wanted to get out of that. And along came a deliverer. Moses came. And Moses said to them, listen, I have a, I, there's a promised land out there. There's, a, there's something so much better than here. So they say, giddy up, Moses, let's go. We want the promised land, a land you describe as a land of milk and honey. Why wouldn't we want to be there? We want to be right there. And of course, uh, they go, but they find the, before they get there, they're here. In the desert. In fact, the singer-songwriter Keith Green, he wrote a song about this. He called it, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. And here's the lyrics of the chorus. So you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure. I think secure means in prison, I think. Uh, Are you sorry you bought the one-way ticket when you thought you were sure? You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. Are you sure, are, are, are you sorry you're out here in the desert instead of your own backyard? And if you know the story, on the way to the promised land were tough times and rough times. And in those tough times and rough times, everything, what they wanted to do was either fast forward to the promised land or rewind back to prison. Some of us, spiritually speaking, we have a moment where maybe a deliverer comes and his name is Jesus. And he declares a freedom for our lives. And maybe those who shared Jesus with you talked about the benefits of knowing Jesus. Rightfully so. They talked about a peace that you could have no matter what was going on in your life around you. You could have a deep rest and peace that Pastor Richard even led us in that moment. We could rest in the Father's hands. And, and you think, well, I, I like that. And maybe they talked about a joy that was unspeakable and full of glory, and meaning there was great strength. You could have a joy in the middle of tough times. And maybe they talked about the supernatural power of God, that he could actually heal and restore. He could deliver and set free. And so you said, yes, sign me up. I want that relationship with Jesus because I know where I am here, but I want that, I want that promised land experience. And then you find a right here experience. And maybe someone didn't share that with you. That sometimes following Jesus doesn't simplify your life. Sometimes it tends to complicate things in life. That maybe when Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you should count the cost, there was a reason. That maybe it's hard too to follow Jesus. That it might be hard when Jesus tells you to love your enemies. It might have been easier to have been before here where you could just hate them. It was just easier. It's clean, cut. And now I got to love them. And you're at this place where we have yet to experience the fullness of what God has for us. We only see in part right now, and we're stuck in a moment, and we're having trouble getting out of it. So that and week three of our YOLO series, we're going to talk about this moment between when Jesus uh, won the victory on the cross, he died, he rose from the grave, he ascended to his Father in heaven, and until he returns in the second coming, we find ourselves here in this place of waiting, this place sometimes of frustration and pain and even disappointment. How do we do life well here? So throughout this YOLO series, I've invited you to submit some questions along the way. And I'd invite you even this weekend, if there's something about the end time, something about that sparks from Dr. Van or Pastor Keith or I as we share in this series, submit your questions. And the last week, we're going to attempt to answer as many of those questions as possible. Some of you have already started doing that. But go ahead and submit those questions. If you're technologically adverse, go see one of our connectors, and they'll do it for you in the lobby after our gatherings. Now, if you have a Bible... 
turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. There's where we're going to spend our time. In a minute, I'm going to start reading at verse 3 in 1 Peter chapter 1. But before we actually start reading there, let's go back to week one with Dr. Van. Do you remember this chart? If you're a part of our YOLO series, remember he he described time being like this, that there was a creation moment where God created the earth. And he brought us right back to Genesis chapter 1. And we've lived our lives, and at this point in history, Jesus came, died the death that was meant for us, lived the life we couldn't live, ascended to the Father in heaven, and promised he would return and left his spirit with us here on earth. And we are now in what is called in the Bible, the last days and times. And we are waiting for that moment when Jesus will come again. Now, theologians, they describe this a little differently. They describe these two different ages differently. They describe this age as the age of Adam, the first human being. And it's an age marked with death and sin, ruled by death and sin. Because God created this perfect world, but our first ancestors detrimentally marked this world when they chose to do things their way, not God's way. And we have reciprocated ever since. We've done the same thing. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, where our community groups are going to be this weekend, or this week, Dr. Van's teaching, in Romans 8, it's described this way, that all of creation is in pain, that it's groaning as if in the pains of childbirth. In other words, it's trying to be reborn, but it can't quite get there. So there's this broken tension in this world. Even if you're in this room or listening online and you're not, you're, you, maybe you're not a devoted follower of Jesus, maybe this is all new to you, I think you even know. Because there's something in us, we know that this world is not running the way it was supposed to run. And the age of Adam marked this world. And then Jesus comes into the middle of that, and theologians call this age the age of Christ. It's the age where God has now made it possible for us to be made new again through the person of Jesus Christ. That when we put our faith and trust in him, we are adopted into his family and we are given a mission here on earth to come alongside God's mission to restore his broken creation. But here's here's what's difficult for those who are followers of Jesus. We're going to reverse these two actually. Because we're now living after Jesus has accomplished on the cross his sacrifice, but before he comes and restores all his creation. We're living right here. And you and I, we're stuck in a moment. In a moment where we've experienced some of the peace and the presence of God and his grace, a foretaste of what we will experience in full, but only in part right now. And then one day when Jesus returns, as he's promised to, and we don't know when that's going to be, as we learned last week. But we know that when Jesus returns, all of his creation will be restored in full. But until that day, how do we live here? In a way that we don't lose hope in that. How do we live here in a way that we are preparing for the moment that Jesus will return and restore all of his creation? Well, Peter's going to help us with this. You ready to go at it? First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what the apostle says. He says, All praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you'll notice when you read a lot of the letters, either Peter or Paul's letters, he constantly is linking the Father and the Son and reminding us that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And the reason being is there are a lot of false teachers early on in the church world as there is today. All praise to be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been, can you say these two words with me? Born again. Now that, for some of us, if you're new to church, that might sound like something you'd hear from the the southern U.S. from a right-wing political vantage point. But this has nothing to do with U.S. politics. This is way before the U.S. was ever a nation. This is talking about a transformation of which we need to unpack a little bit today. Being born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So out of God's great mercy, we've been born again. You can't be a Christian without having experienced this moment of being born again. 
has little to do with whether your father was or your mother or whether you attend church regularly or if this is a part of your religious experience or if somehow you were born into a Christian family. Peter, Jesus, Paul, others would say, unless you're born again, unless you've experienced this moment, you can't be a Christian. You might call yourself that, but you can't be a Christian. It's a moment when we unite our lives with Jesus that his resurrection power comes into our lives, that we are spiritually resurrected. See, at the end times, Christians believe, rightfully so, that our bodies will be raised up with Christ. But before then, in this life here and now, in the here, the stuck in the moment time, we can experience a spiritual resurrection ourselves. And that spiritual resurrection results and produces a new life in us. A new life. Essentially, God puts his spirit in us. God puts his very lifeblood in us. God puts his very nature in us. So this is going to help you understand why it's difficult sometimes here. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have Jesus' spirit inside of you. But we live in a world that has a very different spirit operating. The Apostle John tells us what the spirit is. He calls it the spirit of the Antichrist. He says this. He says, The spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world, and indeed is, can you say it with me? It's already here. See, sometimes if you grew up in church world and we talked about end times, you, maybe you thought of the Antichrist as some uh, personified figure at the end of all time. And there is uh, a portion of scripture that would help you realize that. But most often when it mentions the Antichrist in the Bible, it is talking about the spirit of this world, the spirit of this age. So the spirit of the Antichrist in the Bible is wherever you see demonic forces opposed to truth. So friends, if you have Christ's spirit inside of you, but we live and operate and eat and work in a world where the spirit of the Antichrist is operational, can you understand why sometimes life is tough? You're in a different operating system. So there's a dissonance that we experience. Now, uh, some of you know, in, my first, uh, in the first service, my dad was in the room, and I was just reflecting on the fact that he owned music stores growing up. He sold musical instruments, and so every one of us had to play musical instruments. So I learned a few things about music along the way. There's this thing called a dissonant chord, and some of you would know what that is if you're a musician, but a dissonant chord are a group of notes played together that don't sound good. They don't sound good. They sound like they're actually at conflict with each other. Uh, so let's go with the definition of dissonance. It just says this, a mingling of sounds that strike the ear harshly, a, mi a mingling of discordant sounds. So in 1975, there was a song released uh, by a guy named Gary Wright. And I, here, here's what the song sounds like. I just want to see how many of you have ever heard this song. Okay, okay, that's enough, that's enough. How many remember this song? How many know this song? Yeah. So all the millennials are like this. Never heard of it, just never heard of it. <laughs> so I'm not trying to educate you about the song, but there's a significance to the song that I wanted to share with you. Because the first time I heard it, I was like 16 years old. And listen, I wasn't 16 at 1975. I'm a Gen Xer. But, but I was there with a friend of mine. We played in bands together. And he had me at his house, and, and he's playing this song. And he said, listen to the introduction of this song, because it's not like anything you've heard before. And here's how the song started. If you notice the chords being played for the strings there, that's a dissonant chord. These are notes that aren't supposed to be together, really. And... Forget all the stuff. <laughs> you, you know what's interesting about dissonance? It's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. Because everything, if you're a musician, you know this. You want to resolve. Everyone wants to resolve a dissonant chord. They sound beautiful only as they are resolved. And there's something in you and I that wants to resolve the conflict we have with this world. See, if you're a follower of Jesus and you find life sometimes difficult out there, 
that you find your beliefs and your thoughts and your values sometimes at conflict with the presiding thoughts and values and beliefs of this world? If you feel there's a dissonance in, in your life that you experience as you walk this earth, then that might be a very good thing. Because you weren't meant to live in harmony with the spirit of the Antichrist. See, sometimes we want to, because it's uncomfortable to live in dissonance, we want to resolve it. And when we do, we lose our distinctiveness. You, get, you following me, friends? We lose our distinctiveness. See, friends, the apostle uh, Paul actually spoke to a church in Corinth that felt the same things we do. Because sometimes it would just be easier to resolve it, right? Just change some of your beliefs so you get along better with your family, so you're able to do things that work better, so you're able to get ahead in certain quadrants of your life, or maybe you can make some things happen. Maybe you can, if you can't find that person the legitimate way, maybe you can find them another way. Paul knew what you were thinking. He said this, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Paul is not trying to cast or disparage people in this world and, and, and you know, just saying that you know, unbelievers are evil. He's not making that point. The point is simply this. If you are born of the Spirit and you have Christ's Spirit inside of you, how can you ever think that you could be in harmony with the Antichrist Spirit? It's not possible. We live in the here and now, before, between the before and after. Any t attempt now to resolve that dissonance can only be done through compromise. And here's the thing with compromise in your life and my life. I'm not talking about that good and healthy compromise in a relationship. You know, if you're married and you don't know compromise, then you got a dictatorship, not a marriage. <laughs> compromise is a, is a good and healthy thing. But when we compromise the values and beliefs and thoughts that God gives us in Scripture to get along with the spirit of this world, all that does is create bigger dissonance in our hearts and lives. And it actually is destructive in nature. So, so, so let's take a minute and let's look at what these two spirits look like. So the spirit of Christ, Christ means anointed one. That's what it means in the Greek. It just means anointed one. When, when we use the term Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. It's not like Jonathan Smith. It's not his last name. It's a designation that Jesus is the anointed one. The word antichrist means, uh, Christ, again, anointed one. Anti means against in the Greek. So it's basically the spirit of this age that is against the anointed one, against Jesus. And you can tell the spirits that are influencing you. So the, the spirit of Christ will always influence you towards doing the Father's will here on earth. Jesus said, I don't do anything, but the Father doesn't tell me to do it. And the Father's will is that his creation and the people in your lives would be restored through the person of Jesus. That is his will here on earth as it is in heaven. The spirit of the Antichrist wishes us to do the will of Satan. Now, I know it's easy to dismiss it once I use the word Satan, depending on your vantage point. But I want you to understand that what the spirit of this age does. And the spirit of Satan, or Satan is described as the father of all lies. He's the one that is the great deceiver who is blinds the eyes of unbelievers so that they won't see Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. He brings dissension, dissonance, and confusion. And that's his modus operandum. There's another thing here. You can tell that the spirit of Christ is motivating us and moving us if it's moving us towards Jesus. It's always moving you towards Jesus. Christ's spirit inside of you is making much of who Jesus is and is always drawing you closer to Jesus. But the spirit of the Antichrist moves you away from Jesus. So sometimes in my life, every once in a while I need to say, it's even good things maybe in my life that have cluttered my life moving me away from Jesus? Or am I being moved towards Jesus? What's influencing me? Here's the last one. The Spirit of Christ leads us to the truth that sets us free. 
The Spirit of Christ is always leading you into truth. Here's how you can know if you're being led into truth. If the truth you're being led into always appeals to your desires, you're probably not being led into truth. Because I've noticed this, and maybe you have. I'm sure you have if you've lived with Christ and, and been in relationship with Him for a long time. Sometimes the truth that sets me free is convicting and uncomfortable. It's not always easy, but it's always meant to free me. The spirit of this antichrist leads us to create a truth that imprisons us. How does the spirit of the antichrist do that? By appealing to what we really want, not what we need. Our desires. And all of a sudden, we become masters at justifying any type of behavior. Why? Because we're under the influence of the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have nothing to fear, though. See, John goes on to say, and first, John, the Apostle John speaks more about this than anyone else in Scripture. But the Apostle John goes on to say, listen, don't worry, friends, though. You belong to God, my dear children. You've, can you say these words with me? Already won. See, and this is something you can take to the bank. I know Leaf fans already feel like they've already won. But we all know how that ends. Uh, and, oh, sorry, I just had to do a little jab there. You've already won a victory over those people. And those people were not, these were people that infiltrated the church and they were false teachers. They were putting emphasis on things that shouldn't have been emphasized and they were de-emphasizing things that should have been emphasized. They were not emphasizing Jesus. They were emphasizing all kinds of mystical things around them. Those false teachers were there in the first century and they're still with us today. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. Now, we've often, if you grew up in church, we've said that verse a lot. You know, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit that is in you is greater than the spirit that is in this world. That's what John is talking about, though. The reference is that the spirit of Christ that is in you is greater than the spirit of the Antichrist that is in this world. But we're stuck in this world right now. I know there's great enjoyable moments. There's tough moments. I, I love being here. At the same time, my heart yearns for something more. We're stuck between the victory of Jesus on the cross and the fulfillment of that victory in its entirety when Jesus returns again in his second coming. And until then, we feel a dissonance. And it's not up to you to resolve that dissonance. If you do, you'll always resolve it with compromise. Instead, when Jesus returns, the dissonance will be removed. The cord will be resolved, and we will enjoy harmony again. So let me explain why Peter starts this passage in chapter 1, verse 3, and he makes much of something that you've heard many times if you've been in a church world. He says, you need to remember that you were born again. It sounds like such a term that, like, elemental in very nature, but once you lose sight of this, you will not thrive stuck in this moment. So he makes much of being born again. Now, I'm going to lean into some writings by an author named Tim Keller because I think he says it so much better than I could ever. He's so much smarter than I am. But he likens to it, and he takes from the book of Titus, and it's very interesting. There's a Greek word in the book of Titus that Paul uses to describe that spirit that is inside of you that you're born again. And I've practiced this word all week, so I want you to be impressed. Palagenesia. Oh, <laughs> oh, say it again? Sure. Uh, Palagenesia. Now, I'd like you to say it with me. Would you say it with me? Palagenesia. Uh, one more time. Palagenesia. Now, I already know we have some Greek people in the church, and despite my best efforts, I barely speak the English language properly, let alone a foreign language, so you can correct me after. But this word is interesting because it has the word Genesis in the middle of it. It's the same root word as beginnings. It literally means to regenerate. That you have, when you follow Jesus and you trust him, you have a regenerative power inside of you that is making all things new. This is powerful, friends. Bigger than maybe you even could conceive in this moment. That you have had experienced a spiritual resurrection of sorts. 
that the palagenesia is inside of you, making you new. You have a power to change inside of you that many of us are living well below. They're so powerful. And here's why Keller makes much of this, and I think he does a great job at it. It's because it's used one other place in the New Testament, and it's used by the person of Jesus. And it's interesting. Jesus uses his word, palagenesia, in reference to end times. And he uses it in reference to when he's coming back. And he says these words in Matthew chapter 19. He says, Jesus replied to his disciples, I assure you that when the world, not if, but when the world is made new, palagenesia, and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, and Jesus continues, and he's hearkening to a moment when he will come back and everything will be made new. And Paul takes this word that Jesus uses, and he has the audacity to describe this moment when everything will be made new. Everything broken will be made whole again. Everything evil will be washed away. No more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more sadness. Everything will be, uh, the power that will be unleashed in this moment will be enormous. This world has never seen a power that great since the moment God spoke this world into existence at creation. It will be released in that moment. He is speaking about a power of which we barely understand or can and conceive, and Paul has the audacity to take that same power and say, when you turn to Jesus and you place your trust in him, that type of power is in you. Palagenesia. You have a first installment, a foretaste, a down payment. Friends, what's stubborn in your life that just won't change? What's that thing that's controlling you? That small ambition that guides your life, that self-serving agenda that you keep defaulting to, that life-zapping addiction that is controlling your life. I, I like what Keller says in summary. He says this, you're putting up with stuff you shouldn't be putting up with. Every one of us is putting up with stuff we shouldn't be putting up with if only we understood the power to change that was inside of us. If you've ever seen those movies, the Star Wars movies, anyone see them? Eh, probably all of us, uh, most of us. There's a line in all of them because I feel like they've made like dozens of these movies. I don't know how many Star Wars movies there are. I know there's some Star Wars nerds in the room because you came up to me after the Saturday service and I just don't know and I don't care. <laughs> but I know this, all of the movies have the similar line in it. The Jedi Knights, which are the heroes, have this great power and force inside of them. And they have this greeting. And they would greet each other, whether it's saying goodbye or hello. They would say, may the force be with you. And they did it for a couple of reasons. One, it was a reminder that they had a power that was incredibly powerful inside of them. And it was a reminder that this force is always with them. So may the force be with you. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's nothing. You got the palagenesia inside you. You got the palagenesia, able to shape and change your appetites, able to shape and change your character, able to make you new, when you are broken, make you whole. You have the palasenergia inside us. And Peter makes much of this in the opening comments in chapter 1, verse 3, because he's reminding people that before Jesus comes again, you need to constantly be remembering that you've been born again. You have the palasenergia inside of you. And this changes everything. And one of the things that changes primarily is your hopes. It changes your hopes. So here, here's the idea that, that Peter's talking about. He says, now we live with great expectation. Some of us who are followers of Jesus, you don't feel this. I mean, you're not expectations. It's more like, how do I survive today? Some of now we live, because of the palisanagia, with great expectation, or one version of the Bible says, with living hope, with living hope. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven. Can you say these two words with me? For. Okay, 
So if you're a follower of Jesus, we're talking end times here, you have an inheritance waiting in your name in heaven. In your name. Well, what type of inheritance is that? Well, it's the hope of Jesus. It is eternity and eternal life, but it's also this immeasurable piece of many things. It's also the treasure that you've already stored up in heaven, and it's waiting for you. And I love this. It's kept in heaven for you. It's pure and undefiled. There's no evil. There's no toxicity in it. There's, there's nothing there that could break or hurt you. It's beyond the reach of change and decay. Man, that stuck out to me today or this week as I was studying it because I thought how few things in this world now are beyond the reach of change. Some of you know exactly what I mean. Some of you are in university and you're studying for careers you know that won't exist in five years. Some of you are engaged in learning and growing and this is a wonderful thing, but you don't even know how it's even going to apply in a few years. Because everything is changing at such a rate. I wonder if the Apostle Peter realized in 2019 the rate of change and the anxiety that that's bringing to our world and culture and people around us. But he says this, the inheritance is waiting for you. Change can't even get to it. Decay can't take it. Nothing can defile it. Nothing can make it impure. What it matters and what does this mean? It means the course that the course of our lives are set by our hopes. And hope is the primary thing that will guide you through the stuck in the moment, moments. The place before here, before and after. The place that you and I find ourselves in. Because when we're born again, we kind of pass, we pass and let go of our perishable hopes and we take hold of imperishable hopes. Those things that can't be destroyed those things that aren't uh, terminal. Before we were born again, all we could do was hold on to perishable hopes. And every perishable hope is terminal. Every one of them is terminal. And because of that, even people who follow Jesus, we don't, some, many of us, we don't hold these. We're still holding on to these. And that's why we, we teeter between frustration and devastation. Devastation, because when we place our hope in temporary and perishable things, it becomes our anchor. And when we lose it, we begin to go adrift and shipwreck. Here's some news, and maybe you need to hear this today. Your career is perishable. Your spouse is perishable. Your children are perishable. The cause you believe in is perishable. Everything is perishable. And if you make them your hope and you lose them, you're going to be devastated. Some of us live in frustration a lot because we tried to place our hope in our children or in our spouse. And when you do that, you not only frustrate yourself, you frustrate them. Friends, it's not my spouse's role to fulfill me. It's not their job to fulfill me. My deepest needs. They couldn't possibly do it. Don't put that type of weight on a perishable person. It's not my children's role to somehow soothe my soul. It's, it's not my family's role to somehow complete me. It's not my children's role to provide for me. It's not my workplace's role to provide for me. Those are perishable things. And whenever you ask perishable things to do what only imperishable things can do, you will always break them. Sometimes, some people put so much pressure on their children, they'll either drive them away or break them. Because that type of pressure can only be handled by imperishable hopes. Things that last forever. And Peter's reminding these first century Christians, just like he'd remind us today in 2019, that we all have a tendency to take hold of small ambitions, selfish agendas, and perishable hopes and make them our all in all. And he's warning us here, unless you are firmly anchored in eternity, in an imperishable hope that is Jesus Christ, you will always be frustrated or devastated. What you hope in makes all the difference. 
I've used this illustration before, but I think this will be helpful. Let's say I run a factory. I'm running a factory right now. And then in this factory, I'm going to hire two of you. So who would like to be hired? Is there anyone in the front row that would like to be hired in this factory? No? Okay, we got one over here. And is there someone over here that would like to be hired? Okay, one here. I'm going to pay you $100 a day to work in my factory. It's hard, meticulous, tedious work. You will work a lot of hours in the day with a 20-minute break. No air conditioning. I have it, but I turned it off. And, and, and the lights will be dimmed at such a rate. It's going to be pretty terrible, but you're going to get $100 a day, though. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, over here, I, I'm going to hire you to do the exact same job I'm hiring him to do, but I'm going to pay you $10,000 a day. $10,000 a day, but the same tedious, meticulous work, it's going to be very difficult. Now, at lunchtime, you guys are probably going to meet in your 20-minute break in the sweatshop that I've now created. And you're going to talk, and you're going to probably say something like this. I don't know what I'm doing here. This is tough. I think I'm going to quit. It's not worth it. And you're going to look at your knuckles that are hurting from the machinery and the, the blisters that are already on your hands. But, 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 but you're going to be sitting across from it at the lunch table, and you're going to have the same blisters and everything else. But you're going to look across them and say... I don't know, I'm, I'm fine here. I'll stay to the end of the day. Why? Same experience. Two different hopes. Two different hopes. And it makes all the difference from getting from here to there. To live in eternity. An imperishable hope is like a $10,000 payday next to a $100 payday. You have no idea, friends, the treasure that's waiting. You have no idea that the treasure that is present right now in the here and now, where you place your hope makes all the difference and it changes everything. Don't put your hope in $100 hope chess. Put your hope in Christ. Friends, you can always tell what, whether your hope is with perishable things by what you have trouble trusting God with. Do you have trouble trusting God with your children? with your provision, with your help, health? Do you have trouble trusting God with your loneliness, with your spouse, with your need to be in control? Do you have trouble trusting God with your relational desires or your sexual fulfillment? Wherever it is, you've put some hope in those things. Here's what happens to me. When I'm under pressure, when things are tough and rough in this life, like they will be for everyone, regardless if you have Christ spirit in you or you're operating under the influence of the antichrist spirit, whatever it is, life is tough at times. We always go to what comforts us most. And wherever you go for comfort will determine whether you can experience what Peter's going to talk about next or whether you're going to experience further brokenness. Peter goes on to say this. He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. You're here, but there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you... This is, I wish I had a delete button. I really do, because I, I keep everything here, but the must would go. The must would go for sure. But Peter says, even though you must endure many trials for a little while... These trials will show your faith is genuine. He's saying this, that when you go through tough stuff here, you're going to see, you get a great read on where your faith is at. You can get a great read on it. You'll see what's genuine in you because what do you go to for comfort? What do you go for comfort? And then he goes on to say, it's being tested as a fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed, when he comes again to the whole world. The idea is this, simply. How does your tough times and rough times in life actually produce gold that Peter's talking about? Treasure for heaven and treasure in this world right now. How does it do it? Well, friends, if you go to him for your comfort, because he's your imperishable hope, tough times and rough times just drive you deeper into the person of Jesus, deeper to what you really love. 
If you put your hope and trust in perishable things, tough times will cause you to put pressure on the people you love, the things that you love, until they break because they can't carry that type of pressure. They weren't meant to. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. When you suffer, you'll just get deeper and closer to him. Friends, you have the palagenesia, see, I can't even say it now, inside you. A power to change of which you have, we've barely tapped. And we have a choice of where we place our hopes in, hope in. And friends, I want to tell you, when you place your hope in Jesus, you'll never be disappointed. I, I was thinking of it that last week when Pastor Keith was done speaking. I just thought his message was so fantastic last week. I, I, I grabbed him in his office after and I said, where were you when I was growing up? Because anytime we talked about the second coming of Christ when I grew up, all I felt was anxiety and fear. Honestly, Jesus is coming back and I know I'm going to be left behind. And one day, I have a similar story to Pastor Keith. I remember one day coming home. I'm one of six kids. There's eight people in the house. It's never empty, but it was that day. And I came home and I had been particularly naughty. And I'm walking in the house and I'm realizing, I get left behind. And I'm wandering through the house, calling. Then I saw my older brother, Peter. But that was no comfort because I knew he'd be left behind. I knew how he behaved. That was not comforting at all. I remember seeing him and thinking, of course you're here. And I kept moving on. And then I found my older sister, Lynn, who was like an angel. And I thought, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay. I lived with such anxiety and fear about the second coming of Christ. And Pastor Keith reframed it that we could say we should have a joy and anticipation. He's coming. We don't know when, but it's soon. We're in the last days. I was thinking about that this week or last week. I had a board meeting on a Tuesday night with the deacons of this church. And I worked that morning. And in the afternoon, I went to the airport to pick up my son. My son's been gone for a year. He's been studying overseas, and I FaceTimed him. I talked to him, and I've seen his face. And so I went to pick him up. I was excited to see him. I haven't seen him in a year. I was excited to see him. But I wasn't prepared for that moment. I really wasn't. You know how you come out, and there's a little barrier between you and the person coming out? I could see him coming, and I'm feeling even now. And I went to him, and I hugged him, and I couldn't let him go. It was weird. I hadn't touched him in a year. And I began to cry. And I, you got to understand, this is not me. This is not normally me. This is not how I operate. And I'm crying, and he starts crying. And then he st starts comforting me. He says, Dad, now you're embarrassing me. <laughs> he said, we got to get going. And, and I have my other son with me, I'm sure. He was just like, oh, great, Dad. <laughs> But I found myself even walking to the car. I mean, I was touching him all the time, rubbing his hair, grabbing his shoulder. We got in the car and I'm reaching over to him. So good to see you. So good to see you. And then we got home and mama was working. And all of a sudden, Shelly sees us pull out and who comes running out? <laughs> Shelly and embracing him. Like he went to Montreal this weekend just to get away from us. <laughs> because like we, we were just mauling him left, right and center. I mean, it's so great to have him return. But I couldn't help but think this week, what's it going to be like when Jesus returns? What's it going to be like when, when you're reunited with your lover of your soul? Because my hope is not in my son. It can't be. That's way too much pressure for him. And it's, it's a perishable commodity for me. My hope is in Jesus. And all I can think of is when he comes, guys, I think the only thing out of my mouth is going to be holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And he's returned. And so we live and we lean that way. 
with expectant faith that our Lord and Savior will come again. And that even as we live in the here, we're not alone. His spirit is with us. And he will carry us through to the day when we are united with the love of our souls. Friends, place your hope and trust in God and love him so that when you go to be with him, you're where you want to be. Father, we love you and we're thankful for you. And we're thankful for the work of your son, Jesus. And God, I pray, Lord, for your people here because I know there's probably some of us going through trials and suffering, and it doesn't feel like gold right now. And God, we pray for our friends, those around us, those online, anyone just going through tough times right now. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would whisper to them, and you would remind them that the palace genesia is inside them. And you have the power to change us and the things around us. God, help us not to put a lid on your supernatural ability to transform our thinking, our behaviors, to set us free from our addictions, to set us free from our small ambitions and our selfish agendas. God, that we could take hold of your agenda for our lives and your plan. Father, I pray for my friends in this room that maybe are not following Jesus, but there's something inside of them that wants They want the promised land, but they also want the presence of your spirit right here and now. And if that's you, friends, I'm going to say a simple prayer and you can pray along with me. Jesus, I'm mindful today that I need you. I need that palagenesia inside of me, your spirit. God, I'm going to ask you, and this is where you humble yourselves, friends. I ask you to forgive me. God, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone around me. I'm pointing it right at me. I'm part of the brokenness in this world. I've contributed to the mess here. The mess in my own life and the mess around me. And I ask for your forgiveness. Would you extend grace to me? Would you fill me with your spirit? And God, I realize that there will be tough times. And there'll be conflicting moments as I learn to follow you. But God, I want by your Spirit's help to be on a determined path to grow more like you each day. And here's your prayer, your amen. I surrender. I surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.